This is episode 56 of the Airport Experience News Podcast. I'm Ramon Lowe, publisher of Airport Experience News and the host of this pod. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. Also, if you enjoy this episode, know that we have a library of episodes that are as equally as compelling as this one. And you know what? You should check them all out. Please, please do so. So in this episode, I speak with University of Indianapolis professor of psychology, Dr. Samantha Gray. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast, then you know that um, a handful of episodes ago, I interviewed a lot of tech-related people. I had uh, Will Baumgartner of Arup, and we spoke about autonomous vehicles, Julia Dietmar of View.ai, and we spoke about the merging of retail and artificial intelligence, um, Juan Nagueros of Bear Robotics, Kevin Nodder of Brigo, the automated coffee experience, uh, Chris Hartman of At Your Gate, and others. Now, the common thread among them is the growth of technology and how it's continuing to be even more present in the airport world, you know, as it helps kind of make our environment less stressful and more convenient for us. There are, of course, uh, downsides to that. Uh, is this tech lessening human interaction or is it evolving human interaction? Is this forcing businesses to rethink customer service and customer engagement? Is this having a ne- any negative effect on us as humans? I don't know, but one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is because I can get people on to help me understand and explain to me very simply when I have questions like these. And so this is why I spoke with Dr. Gray. I mean, she taught or is, or is currently teaching a course in technology and psychology. And I have to say that this was an extremely fun conversation, and I think you'll enjoy it and be educated by it as well. Anyway, here's my conversation with Dr. Samantha Gray. So I'm here with Dr. Samantha Gray, and she is the Assistant Professor of Clinical Psychology at the University of Indianapolis, where she teaches a wide variety of courses. Courses such as research methods and statistics, consultation and education, lifespan development, and a technology and psychology readings course, among several others. She's also been involved in various research activities since 2008 during her time at the University of Tennessee. Dr. Gray has a BA in psychology from Purdue University and a PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Tennessee, go Vols. She then completed her clinical pre-doctoral internship with the the Indiana University School of Medicine and a clinical postdoctoral fellowship with Harvard Medical School. Dr. Gray, thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you so much for having me on. So what I want to do uh, today uh, is really talk to you about uh, a pretty complicated subject. You know, um, I'm sure as you are aware, there have been a number of tech advances that have been on the street side. And when I mean street, uh, at least in our space, things that are outside of the airport. So that you have all these tech advances on the street and they're becoming more prevalent in airports. You've got apps where you can order ahead, apps that deliver food, uh, self-ordering kiosks. Now you're basically seeing robots making things like coffee, uh, smoothies, and (laughs) one restaurant uh, called Spice in Boston actually makes food. And the irony is that I've done episodes on this podcast that have spoken to companies responsible for the advances in everything that I just mentioned. So (laughs) to me, it's very interesting as far as what the future looks like uh, for the traveler experience in airports. So before we get through all that, and I know I just did a very lengthy intro <laughs> on your background, I would love for you to talk a little bit about your background personally. Well, I mean, I think you really hit on all the points. In general, I uh, see myself as a researcher who studies um, social development, um, social applications, and just trying to figure out a way that we can understand how um, different technologies 
relates to um, our development as humans. And so what I call that is it's social technology. Uh, a few of us researchers use that term. It's actually kind of hard to define just within itself because there's so many different types of social technologies. Um, for me, when I say social tech, usually I'm talking about um, any type of technology that has a social platform, like your social media, um, cell phones, smartphones, uh, apps. Uh, I even get into video games and in oh. parts of, of my research at life. Um, so, so really anything with an interactive component um, can be social. Um, but as we examine all the new types of automated technologies and things, it's very interesting how some of that crosses over into being social. Uh, and so anyway, so that's kind of how I see myself uh, examining uh, parts of us that, that are social, the parts of us that uh, interact in the tech world and how these things get along together. That's great because I do have to ask a question, what brought you to this area uh did you just kind of see the 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 impact that technology is having mm. on people in general that's why you kind of gravitated to this subject you know it's interesting one of the very first things i think when i was a dis a doctoral student myself working on my own dissertation um one thing that inspired me to move to uh, studying technology was i was in the student center uh, at, at a subway, making a, <laughs> getting a sandwich. And uh, there's a student, um, an undergraduate student in front of me who was um, taking his sweet time. <laughs> we all, it's a very busy time at UT. Uh, the cafeteria is crazy. We all want to, and the subway line takes a long time because you have to put the sandwiches together. Uh, and this student could not remember for the life of him uh, whether he liked, I think it was between green peppers or green onions or something. And he couldn't figure out how to resolve this. And so he picks up the phone uh, in the middle of the line and he calls his mother and he says, mom, like, you know, what, what is it that I like on my sandwich? And at that time, um, it sparked in me. I was like, man, did this kid have no other way to figure this out? Like, it could have been trial and error. He could have just went with neither. He could have got both and figured it out later or picked off the one that he didn't like. Um, but the inclusion of the technology, the phone is new, right? We didn't always have access to each other so easily. And that's, I think, how I first got interested in technology was the way that technology uh, really in that moment uh, facilitated something that he wanted. And so that's actually one of the first ways uh, that I actually got into it. It's kind of a silly story. It's kind of like a, I think the cell phone's kind of become like a crutch in some ways. Cause we oh, can yeah. up immediately, <laughs> uh, you know, I was on vacation with my family about a month ago and, you know, we're looking for a place to eat and it's not just looking for a place to eat. I'm on Yelp, uh, my Google reviews. Mm -hmm. I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't know, it's only got two stars. I don't think we should go. I mean, that's, that, that's almost like a, I don't want to say, is that a normal way of how things are evolving? You know, and as, as someone who uses Yelp myself and all those <laughs> Google reviews, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed one. a little. I'm just like, oh, but that it is a very uh, normal and natural um, way that we interact with technology. Uh, I think part of what, what I have studied um, are sort of the social ramifications of that. Um, but it is it is very much so one thing that we do know it is very much so the new norm yeah. um, of how we of how we use technology absolutely consumption is is as high as it's ever been.
I, I don't know if this is related or not, but I, I can tell you the truth. I only have remembered, I probably remember only three phone numbers because everything is a shortcut with someone's name on my phone. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I mean, I remember mine, my cell phone, my wife's cell phone, my home phone, and that's it. I don't, I don't even know. Uh, thank God I remember now. I know. <laughs> anyway, we'd so, all be lost right <laughs> we'd all be lost if, if we if our phones pa- powered down or anything like that we needed to make an emergency call hopefully we have one number memorized but outside of that we may be in trouble oh uh, most definitely and I, I i can regale you with many stories about being uh separated from my phone but that's not that's not for this time so um <laughs> I, I guess what i'd like to ask of you is you know what do you see are the initial impacts that you're seeing with the use of tech and social media currently and i know you've done uh many research studies on this topic correct because i read that in your very very detailed bio could you just talk about Um, what the studies are, because I know it it mentions that you study the relationship between mood, behavior, and social technologies. And just talk about what the studies were and and some of the results. Sure. So so to kind of give a context, I think for some of the studies that that I have uh, done in my lab and the ones that are continuing to go on, I think I'll I'll start with kind of giving my initial uh, impacts to what I even just see. And that, that maybe can help people understand like why we study what we study. Um, because it's it's very interesting just what's happening with what we see before we get into um, the details of like what we have found about what we see. So in general, I see sort of uh, a broad variety of things happening. I guess I'll summarize them in three points, uh, even though they're very related to each other. <laughs> the first thing is that uh, one of the main initial impacts that I'm seeing is just the wide pervasiveness and increase in access to consumption of uh, and comfort with various technologies. Um, my goodness, we just got done talking about pervasiveness, uh, how much access we have to it, how much we consume it. And the other thing that sometimes gets lost is just how comfortable we are with it. That's a very important, um, important component. I think the second thing that I see is um, that research on social tech tech has been very mixed so far. So a lot of research suggests that, oh, social tech, uh, it has numerous benefits for social connectivity. You know, it helps us connect with our friends and family. Um, It helps us uh, entertain ourselves. Uh, It gives us access to a wide variety of information. It makes us efficient. There's apps to help relax us for meditation. There's tools for learning. I mean, I'm getting out of breath. The list goes on and on. Um, But for some individuals uh, on the extremes of tech use, we can also see some budding issues that aren't so good, right? So uh, in my field, that's going to be budding issues around maybe depression or anxiety. This is especially when we start consuming technology at a rate that uh, isn't healthy for us. So maybe it's interfering with your sleep at night because you can't put your phone down uh, when the brain should basically be shutting off. Maybe it's interfering with your ability to function at work uh, or school or you're not doing the things that you're supposed to be doing. Um, However, that's a pretty small subset of the population. And in general, whatever technologies are being rolled out, right, the technology itself does not cause a negative outcome. The way that people use the technology uh, and the way they experience it can cause a negative outcome or, or a positive one. 
Um, and so anyway, so those who are prone to using these things in an unhealthy fashion sometimes uh, are more susceptible to negative side effects. And so, so I do want to, to sort of address that because sometimes, you know, there, there, are, there are pros and cons um, and ramifications either way when it comes to social technology and technology in general. So I do want to say that that is one thing that we see currently. Uh, and I think that the last thing that I'm seeing is basically the need to examine more about social connection and coping, right? This is our, the warm and fuzzy part of what I do. And so when we remove social connectedness from our lives, you know, you think about how do I get social connectedness in my life? How am I connected to this world around me? And think about what that would feel like if that were gone. So when we remove social connection, we're at risk for things like social isolation, right, which can lead to experiences of loneliness and um, ultimately more psychological distress. And so in some ways, a really quick interaction with another human being out there in the world, just a quick one, it can serve as almost a reality check. Uh, it's sometimes what we call grounding. Because uh, we can lose reality, we can become rather disorganized, uh -huh. we have no social mirror, we've got no experiences that are grounding us to our environment. If it's just us by ourselves floating around with these uh, technologies all by ourselves, it gets kind of lonely and disorienting. Uh, and so for folks who have limited social outlets, right, um, automating all the areas of their life, be it from food retrieval in an airport, mm -hmm. to banking, to automated delivery, uh, that would be problematic, right? Because we're trying to increase the amount of social connectivity that they have in their life. Now, for most of us, we have a good amount of social outlet in our life. And so adding in some automation here and there uh, is, is generally not gonna be too bad of a thing. Well, I'm glad you made, mentioned automation because I know I, I we'll definitely get that get get to that point uh, in a couple of questions. But you triggered something in me uh, in one of your answers that made me think: Are we? Is this our new normal? Basically, I hate to think that we've gotten so far that we couldn't pull back. And I, I asked this because as you as you're speaking, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh. I can't be away from my phone. Or I can't stop for a second and not look on my Instagram feed or on Twitter. Um, <laughs> And I see everything now where uh, I, I believe it's Comcast where they say you can, you can basically, sh the mom shuts off the Wi-Fi at the dinner table. Mm. Everyone is forced to interact and look at each other and have dinner. Um, another one which I am very guilted into all the time is I think at the end of a week, my iPhone will tell me, oh, you've been on the phone for <laughs> you meant too long. <laughs> basically. Um, and change me that way. So is this, are, are we putting in these, like safeguards in some ways or maybe some reminders that kind of pull us back out from getting too deep into the tech? You know, it's very interesting that actually, uh, I guess I'll answer your first question that yes, this is a new norm, right? That um, organizations that are out there that track uh, just tech consumption and that's really all that they do are showing very clear trends that our consumption is going way up. Um, and, and so, but we've adjusted that, right? Because essentially that doesn't mean um, that we're not functioning like we're supposed to be, um, but we have access and we use technology way more. We're connected to our phones, um, but it's not always associated with bad outcomes. It just means that this is like a new norm for us. 
and norm means we're, we're well within normal ranges. Uh, so yes, consumption is definitely higher, um, and we have flexed to that. Um, it reminds me of one of the research studies I was going to talk about where one of my students recently found that this thing that he called family rules, uh, he's pulling that from someone else, family rules, unspoken or spoken, can basically help moderate the impact of how we use technology. And the study was really about how the existence of basically boundaries in the family can help young adults and their parents not allow uh, the pervasiveness of constant access to each other via our cell phones affect them in negative ways, right? So mom and dad aren't constantly calling young people and young people aren't calling mom and dad at four in the morning, right? We have these like unspoken rules for how we use this amazing, powerful technology. Um, and what we found was that for pam families who seem to have good boundaries or understanding of how to use the technology, they fared way better overall. Um, so in relation to, I guess, the new automated like food services, I can see this being very applicable for families, right? If I'm out and I know my mom and my sister want to enjoy a lunch with me at the airport on our three-hour delay, my social rules kick in. Social rules may tell me, you know, I should go ahead and get us a table at the restaurant instead of grabbing something out of the vending machine because for this particular interaction, even though both options may be equally delicious, trust me, I have seen some of those farmers market food vending machines and they have some awesome items in them. Yeah. The, the research really shows us that we have other thing, other motives when it comes to eating um, and other ways of being that families connect with each other. So that mom and those two sisters may say like, well, in this situation, uh, we want to have um, a meal together, right? And so that data set uh, from that student also showed that sometimes there's differences with different members of our family. And I also have seen some data that shows that we interact with our fathers differently than our mothers. So we're much more brief, much more direct, and much more to the point with dad. So grabbing a sandwich um, from a machine with him may be just what we need to sustain us. Um, and it would still meet that sort of human social interaction bar, even though it's a very different type of experience. Well, that's, that's <laughs> this, this might be a stretch, and you can tell me if it is. That's kind of like, um, it's kind of like, it, it, it's, it's, we're so... I don't want to say all men, but I know I am typically like most men function or goal oriented on something. You know, I need to achieve this. Mm -hmm. It's like going to the mall. I need a shirt. I go to the mall. I get a shirt. I go. Yep. And it's when I'm shopping with my dad, <laughs> we need shoes. We get a pair of sneakers. We're gone. When my mom, mm -hmm. it's different. You know, let's go see what the other Foot Locker has. Let's go see what yeah. whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's funny how you say, you know, we, you, you know, with dad, just go to the vending machine and get a sandwich or, or a meal and you know, that satisfies because we're hungry. We've checked that off. Yeah. Ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And we have options, right? And, and the important thing, because it's like the technology, those stores, whatever, we have all these options to fill those needs. And then it's up to us, you know, the technology itself isn't the problem. It's going to be how we interact with it and when we interact with it. And can we choose the correct times to interact with it? That's really key. So I'm glad you mentioned mom and dad. Um, you know, whenever I hear someone saying, you know, oh, I miss the good old days or whatever, I'm always wary because, you know, I like for us to advance as a society. And that's not just, I don't want to get political or anything, but yeah. that's not just from a tech standpoint. Yeah. 
So um, do, are you seeing in either your research or the work that you're doing right now that there's a disparity in how tech is being used between age groups? Is the gap narrowing or widening or so? Because I know, no, listen, it's so, my, yes. my, mom so can, my, mom, uh, my mom cannot enter a four-digit code to disarm her alarm, her house. <laughs> but if you need something on Prime, it's there tomorrow. She's got it. <laughs> Yes. She's got, <laughs> she's adapted. But I wonder, and there's like a comfort level, right? My mom also had the worst <laughs> time learning her security system. It was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but she also does very high level things on her uh, technology wise uh, at, at, through her job, right? So I'm like, I know you know how to use a computer. I know you know how to use a keypad. Why are these things not merging together? Uh, it's very interesting. But broadly speaking, the gap for between younger folks and older folks uh, re re really regarding comfort, access, and knowledge of tech, it really appears to be narrowing. Um, and so because of that, the consumption gap is narrowing. As a result, more people are just using technology. Um, and so broadly speaking, we're not going to take it away from, you know, the 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 younger folks still get the gold star here. They're still coming in basically first place when it comes to using new technologies. But what we see is that older generations will sort of adapt and will start to incorporate those more now than ever before. Um, and so again, the the organizations who track those types of behaviors are definitely reporting that older individuals have significantly used, um, I'm, I'm sorry, significantly increased their use of various technology from smartphones to social media to computers. Um, they are definitely a force to be reckoned with. Some of my students have complained that all of their parents are now on like Snapchat and Facebook and, uh, and doing more things with technology than even they are. Um, and for older folks, this is a way to, that's what I study, it's a way to connect, right? Mm -hmm. There's that relational component of like, well, if my grandkids are on there, I want to be on there. If my, you know, if this is good for, for keeping in contact with people, it's a very strong motive. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Does that kind of remove the cool from it? I mean, listen, I remember when I was a teenager. <laughs> listen, I remember when I was a teenager and I got an earring and I thought that was cool. <laughs> then one of my uncles got an earring and it wasn't so cool anymore. <laughs> exactly. It does kind of, and interestingly, I was, I had a data set that was really messed up. And I remember at one point, one of the participants kind of pulled me to the side and was like, well, you know, it's because we all have additional profiles. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, these aren't your only Facebook profiles. These aren't your, you don't just, you're not just on one platform. He's a burner. Like, no, I'm on Facebook because that's where my family is. And I'm on, you know, Instagram and I don't allow anyone to be on there except for, so they try to protect the cool, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Now I just want to talk about the business side of this and how uh, things are affected uh, from a social aspect. You know, your space in higher education, colleges, universities, it's really an environment that many should be looking to. And I, and I say that um, even for our, our own environment, which is airports, because I believe that how that group interacts with those spaces and the technologies yeah. within them is basically a tremendous tell as to how we should expect them to behave and interact in our environment. So as airports across the country, and, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but airports across the country are renovating their environments. They're adding these new cool technologies as they're trying to yeah. get 
not even five, maybe even 10 years ahead and set themselves up to how to cater to this new demographic, you're probably seeing this up close, correct? And are you finding that's the case? That is absolutely the case. I think that especially um, at the undergraduate level, so I admit that I usually, I teach mostly um, doctoral level students, and so they've already sort of gone through um, the flow of, of, and they're a little bit older when they get to me, but I do have the privilege of teaching, actually the psychology and technology course is, is an undergrad course that I teach. And I have to remember, some of these kids, they're just getting out of high school. Right. And so <laughs> when I think about that, I'm like, just a few months ago, you were possibly in high school. That's amazing. Um, and to think about like how they utilize technology in the classroom, right? That, that like, oh, well, you're, no one takes notes in, in their, in their notebook anymore. Everyone's got their laptop out, right? They're not, they're not um, adept to, to writing with their hands. They just take it uh, or they have a microphone. Uh, many of them uh, are used to learning systems that uh, are equipped for their cell phone, right? So our electronic um, uh, learning system had to be adapted because it wasn't like only people, we only used it on PCs right. or on like a desktop computer. And uh, the young <laughs> the students basically drove that initiative to say like, well, I want to be able to check my homework from my phone. And, and we were just like, but why? What? That's that's crazy. Like, why would you do that? And, and for a great deal of reason, uh, it has helped tremendously that they have access to their smartphones and that they can just log right in and submit their homework. Um, they are a tech heavy group of folks. Um, in that class that I teach, I do, I, I, I give them a treat, right? I think of it as a treat and the students, oh, they do not like this task at all. I have what's called a tech-free weekend, right? And students hate this assignment. The directions are rather vague on purpose, um, but students are constantly trying to find loopholes to get out of going tech-free because they don't want to. They're so tech-heavy, right? I get the email. Okay, Dr. Gray, I see that we're supposed to go tech-free, but I have to use my phone for GPS. Can I use, is GPS a social technology, right? They'll ask me, um, oh, I want to be in my car for a long period of time. Uh, is, is Pandora music? Is that, does that count as social technology? I don't have any music because I don't have CDs. Like, what will I do? How will I function without technology? Uh, it's a very interesting time. This, you are correct that this is a very tech-heavy group of emerging adults, young adults coming uh, through. And so it's interesting the way that they learn, the way that they um, have fun. It's all very tech heavy. And we, ha we do have to adapt to that. So from an employing, employment standpoint, you know, right now we've actually been talking about from the consumer side, us as customers going to uh, a restaurant or interacting with these, uh, these pieces of social technology to kind of make our lives easier. But looking from an employment standpoint, you know, what do you see as the impacts on the service side? You know, we in airports talk about customer service mm -hmm. all the time. And that, of course, involves some form of an action, interaction, a smile, something. You know, does yeah. all this tech hinder us from being capable of that, you think? You know, it's definitely going to alter the way that um, that we interact socially, if there is any social interaction at all, depending on the type of technology we're, that's in front of us. Um, you know, what I would say is that the social needs of the employees 
are the exact same as the social needs of the customers. We're all human, right? And so if an employee truly valued some aspect of their job where social interaction was a large component, um, or they and they have a very limited social interaction life sort of outside of work, automating large parts of their job may become an issue for them if it becomes unfulfilling type of work, right, where you're potentially introducing isolation, loneliness, budding feelings of sadness and depression, things like that. Um, and that's really for people who are drawing a great deal of benefit from socially interacting at work. That is absolutely not everyone's experience. Uh, there are those of us who work largely in isolation, um, and we experience that as very fulfilling, right? So it depends on the person, the type of work. It's kind of like a best fit kind of thing. You know, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit, uh, I know less about the data on robotics actually taking away jobs, but what I can say is that um, sometimes robotics are assisting in people actually doing their jobs, which can be extremely valuable in helping employees meet their efficiency goals. Uh, and so that's very similar to how I use tech in my life, right? Technology helps me do my job more effectively. Uh, so I think it's important to realize that we just have to moderate our use of it so it doesn't control us. Like uh, I had to, you know, edit myself and really work on, it took a few years to work on not responding to dinging emails, mm -hmm. um, you know, or and, and not allowing technology to become sort of the essence of who we are. Well, it's, it's, I think we got two different conversations, where I think, which are definitely very um, interesting and important. But I think in the example, you mentioned how uh, you're using tech to make your life and the work you do easier, uh, you know, more mm -hmm. efficient, et cetera. That's one side of it, as opposed to here, you know, maybe like the, the social, mental, or what have you aspect of these advancements displacing you for instance. You know, so I, I listened to another podcast where it was mentioning how autonomous vehicles are now being tested on uh, trucks, you know, long, mm. uh, long form tr uh, truckers who drive long distances, et cetera. They don't get tired. They, you know, this is all being tested. Now. So what is it going to do for that set of truck drivers who've been years uh, have their own businesses for the most part? And, and this is their skill. You know, what does that do for someone mentally as far as what my value is and that kind of dovetails or relates to what you're saying earlier and how someone feels if my if i'm just if yeah. you walk up to me at the counter and all i have to do is oh are you samantha here's your order and that's it does that mean that i'm not worthy of doing something better because technology is kind of minimizing my value and how does that you think that makes someone feel ultimately that long term Oh, that is so interesting. You know, I hadn't thought of it that just that way until you said it um, in, in that way of like, well, what does, it's almost like a value, right? If I can be reduced down to something that, um, you know, like I just do a very simple uh, task now, it's not as complex. The, the technology is ultimately doing the heavy lifting for me. Like, what does that say about me? And again, the part that's from a psychological standpoint that's interesting is our need for fulfillment. Mm -hmm. um, and to, to feel like uh, like we're, we're valued and, and we can do something competently. You know, I'll self-disclose as, as someone in, in academia, academia isn't facing a great deal of automation like the food and retail industry. Um, but we certainly are dealing with increased tech um, as many institutions are going to more online courses, right? Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, for some universities, it's possible that someone could graduate without ever interacting with an actual professor in real life. But is that at least the way it's used now? You know, online courses in order to bridge geography. You know, I can take mm-hmm. your course being down here in Boca Raton, Florida, and I don't need to be in Indianapolis, although I'd love to visit, let's say. But, <laughs> but I'm still taking the course. I'm still learning from a human being. Uh, it's not, uh, you're not a bot that's just saying, okay, and now turn to page two and let's go over the chapter, correct? I mean, that's at least a different. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So there's, yeah, there's gradients to online courses, right? Where some of the online courses are very much so like almost live, where like I am actually, um, I get on my, my video and everyone else is, is live at the same time. And, and that still has this component of like, it, it removes the distance issue, right? It's not important. It's like everyone's still learning. There's interaction. That's how you can use tech to facilitate. It's like a middle ground. Like, well, how do we use technology to facilitate? I want to get away from the distance barrier, but I still want to um, include all the wonderful things that I could in my classroom versus, you know, some more automated types of technologies where you're literally just going through modules um, and you can, you know, click yeah. through screens and stuff. And, and, and there is some evidence to show that, that some learning things that way can be beneficial without a live human, um, just content that you need to get through. Um, but then there are other classes that, that wouldn't be as beneficial, right? So we still need the human element to discern what level it's about how we use the technology when to use it how to use it we have to be mindful of these things listen i'm going to be selfish because uh, my wife is in education so <laughs> there <laughs> uh, we don't want to say there's going to be a robot who's now going to be teaching history or math whatever it is but you're right if there is a complementing um program or service or a piece of tech that helps you learn math in addition to the you know, human that's teaching you. I'm all for that, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think it's very interesting for for someone who learns like visually, or you can go mm-hmm. back and do, um, you know, time sensitive things. Like it, it's very, uh, it can be very user friendly and very targeted to that specific student. Um, and so there, you know, and that's, that's less of my area, but I do know that that is a huge field. Um, and one of the stronger um, pros around technology is being able to help use it for educational purposes. Absolutely. So should we look at all this? And before I get to my last question, but I just want to ask your opinion on this. Should we look at technology, I don't want to say uh, negatively, or should we try to embrace the positives of it, even though we know in the back of our minds, there are some downsides to the tech? Sure. So I think I just look at um, technology and its impact as in a very neutral way, right? And so it's not that um, tech itself is a bad thing or a good thing per se, it's going to be dependent upon the user. It's going to be dependent upon that person's experience with it. It's going to be dependent on so many elements that are more on the human side um, than, and it's about our interaction with it, right? And so what we see is a great, this is why a lot of people feel that the research is so mixed. And it's, (laughs) it's really not that the research is conflicting so much as to it depends, right? Everything in my field, it's a joke in the classroom that I make. It, it always will depend. Um, there will be pros and cons to any type of um, 
inflammation that we make, any type of new social tech, uh, there's going to be you know, a swing in one direction, and then there's going to be a natural pendulum swing back in the other direction. It's just sort of the natural way of things. Do you think we lose a little bit of something? I mean, I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, I, I really don't remember many cell phone, num- uh, phone numbers anymore because everything mm. is a shortcut on my phone. I'm not saying I'm, I'm, you know, regressing in any way, but are we mm-hmm. losing some aspect of who we are or what we're capable of, or maybe it's holding us back because things have advanced to make it so much easier for us? You know, it's so interesting. I... <sighs> When it comes to, you know, our, we've become so much more efficient. Like, I don't have to hold these things in my long-term memory. You know, it, <laughs> some people would argue that, that that's a deterioration, right? That it's bad that I, that I do not know these things. And for safety reasons, I will add, I do think you should know some phone numbers, at least for safety <laughs> Yes, <reasons>. thank you. <laughs> However, I think what tech has allowed us to do is it also frees us up to, to, to learn far more and to have way different types of skill sets. Our brains are still largely functioning on, uh, on the same level that it would have regardless. Um, the younger kids who are being brought up as what we call digital natives, they just have a slightly, their skill set looks different, right? For me, you know, I, I'm still having some problems memorizing all of my passwords when I sign up for various websites, right? Like, that's like my new phone numbers. Like I don't have to remember everyone's phone numbers, but gosh darn it, I have to remember all these different passwords and iterations of passwords for all these websites. Um, and so it's like a different style of learning. And, and I don't think tech is going to regress or go backwards in any way. So our youth really have to adapt to this new style of it's like, okay, well, if I don't need to know people's phone numbers, what do I need to know? I need to know how to, efficiently figure out, you know, which is the best news source. I need to efficiently figure out what my passwords are. I need to efficiently figure out um, how I'm going to order and what I'm, what I'm going to get the best prices on these different websites, mm-hmm. right? They have a slightly different skill set. Uh, it's funny because I was listening to uh, Kara Swisher's a notable writer. She, she has a podcast called Rico Decode and she had uh, South Bend, Indiana and presidential candidate. Mm-hmm. Judge on, and he just said, you know, the question was about tech, and he just said, you know, we have to deal with it because it's 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 like saying, do we eat something about like do we eat or not eat? Of course, yeah, we have to. You know, tech is just a part of our lives now, and we have to. Yeah, can't just sit it off the side and think and hope it it kind of figures out it, it itself in some ways. But it, it's definitely here to stay. So, anyway, my, my yeah. last question for you is uh, I want you to really look into the future and, and kind of make some predictions. Now, I say that, and I scribbled um, a couple of points down. It's not fully um, up and running yet, but 5G makes things a lot, makes, the, makes us want, is going to make us want to use our, our devices even more. You know, you look at content in terms of like Apple, they've shifted really from, you know, multiple iterations of an iPhone of the phone because you can only iterate so much. You know, your camera can only get so much better before it's just a camera, like everyone else's. And now they're getting into yeah. content, which means you're going to use your devices even more. So, what do you think? Obviously, it's it's still going to continue. Uh, our rise of acceptance of use of tech is going to continue. But what do you see from your standpoint, and what is the impact potentially? So I see exactly uh, what you just said. I do not think that um, we are at least at that point to where we would start seeing any type of regression in behaviors of consumption. Um, 
It's interesting. I, I think I see technology uh, sort of why we're talking being spread into different um, uh, business areas that, that haven't used a great deal of automated technology of social technologies. Um, I see restaurants and stores figuring out creative ways to utilize automated tech and social tech together. Um, you know, sort of in this world of like, I want my sandwich yesterday type urgency. I think that we'll see a rise in tools to basically help accommodate our fast paced lifestyles. It's like we want it super fast, we want it super healthy, and we want it super cheap. And so it's interesting that that trifecta to see how that's going to be resolved. Um, I do see a potential swing back to valuing sort of slowing things down when possible. Mm -hmm. I do not predict a future of complete automation, or perhaps I'm just hoping that there won't be a future of complete and total automation. Uh, but again, given the age range of folks that I do most of my research on, you know, 18 to 25 emerging adults, uh, right now most of them are still considered millennials. Um, even though they're getting it, that's also getting into the Generation Z folks, you know, their comfort with technology, I do not see um, the world sort of slowing down. I think we're going to have to keep up with young adults' lifestyles. Um, I think that to do that, both academia and industry will become far more concerned with basically the impact um, that lack of relational connectivity has on people. Because again, for me as a psychologist, um, now granted I study emotions and relational connectivity, but there's a human element that, um, that needs to be considered in terms of social technology, right? It's what makes things land more on the pro side instead of on the con side. Um, so, you know, as with many things, you know, sometimes things will get worse before they get better. Uh, you know, I don't see that the world will be turning into like a sci-fi thriller before we recognize the need for human connection. Like that human connection still exists and it's important. I don't think we're going to, you know, turn into a sci-fi movie that soon. But I, I do predict that we will become far more automated than ever. And I do wonder if that'll actually make us appreciate the times that we do have an extended interaction with someone or a connection with someone, right? Um, you know, it, and I've only scratched really the surface um, of the things that sort of we get into uh, research-wise, but, you know, I, I will be excited to see how the tech industry continues to marry social relatedness and emotional connection into de the development of these various technologies if they're going to be automated. Um, I think that people with sort of my background, professionals in the industry side who know all about robotics and apps, I think that what we'll see is that folks will be teaming up to basically uh, ensure that these new trends are, are, are rolling out smoothly. Uh, I know that I've been asked to consult or to speak to businesses on like the human psychological perspective of something. And so because as we become more automated as tech increases, we're like, oh yeah, like let's figure out how to add the human component back into that. What makes us, why is this scary? What can make it less scary? How do we get all the benefits from it without so much capitalizing on the, the, the negatives? This is great. And, you know, I can always just watch an episode of Black Mirror to kind of like bring, <laughs> bring some uh, reality to all this. But anyway, exactly. uh, Dr. Samantha Gray, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for taking time to speak with me. Thank you so much for having me. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Samantha Gray. If you did, please make sure to subscribe and also please make sure to leave a positive comment or review. And by the way, if you have any suggestions of topics that you would like to hear about, um, feel free to reach out and let me know. You can email me at Ramon, R-A-M-O-N, at airportxnews.com. That's airport, the letter X, news.com. Well, that's it for now. There will be more compelling guests uh, in the future, so keep your ears open. And as always, thanks for listening. Thank you.